Have you ever laid awake at night and just thought about the idea of faith? Just kind of laid there and wondered if um, everything that you know about God, whether it's just a little bit or you understand all the theology that's in the Bible, it's actually true. You wondered how in the world could everything around us in this beautiful creation um, just suddenly come into existence. I, I don't know about you, but I have. I remember as a, as a teenager, and I became a Christian when I was uh, in first grade, and my, my faith really didn't galvanize and get roots in, until I was you know, about 15 or 16 years old. And I remember laying uh, in my grandparents' house uh, during the summer, I'd go visit them, and I would hear uh, some, some different noises because they lived right on the coast of near Tampa Bay, Tarpon Springs area, and we lived in Atlanta at the time. And I remember listening to different noises and different things outside and just wondering if it's all real, if, if it all like really happened the way that this book said it happened. I think that we all have had moments in our lives where we've just wondered if it's all real. And our faith was questioned, or we questioned our faith. And then we go through periods of times in our lives where we have circumstances that happen to us, or perhaps we make decisions that cause us to go through some times of, of struggle and heartache and loss. And we wonder, what is this all about? How can this all be this way? How can life be so difficult? How can choices and decisions be so hard? How can everything turn on a dime? How can I be affected by someone else's choice so much? And we wonder what God is doing. We wonder what's going on in life. We wonder if it's real. There's a period of time in our nation when a lot of people were wondering. And it, was, it began 15 years ago today. I promise you that uh, if I were to ask each one of you who were alive on 2001, on uh, September the 11th, 2001, each of you would know every detail about what you were doing at the time, where you were at the time, what your memories were of that tragic day in our country's history that we remember today, 15, I can't believe it, years later. I was having a conversation in the car with my kids on the way here this morning, and I realized and I was reminded of the fact that there, there are so many people who have been born since then. They really don't understand what it was all about. But I remember. You do too, don't you? A lot of you. I remember. And I remember that there were a lot of people asking a lot of those types of questions, a lot of faith-type questions in the days and the weeks after the tragedy that hit America back on September the 11th. I remember that churches on the Sunday after September 11th were filled, pews and seats and chairs were filled, and the church that we were a part of, that Cynthia was working at, and that I was still um, volunteering, just about ready to come on staff with, um, we were at standing room only. Literally, there were people standing underneath the screens in that room. And that happened the Sunday after September the 11th. And it happened the next week. And it happened the week after that. And then all of a sudden, this interest in faith began to wane as we as Americans kind of dove into a new reality, a new life as we, we know it. 
what was a spiritual interest and a faith interest, and those who were questioning might have come to faith, or they might have asked the real questions about faith, and those who were critical of who God is might have actually been open, their eyes might have been open to who he really is, and they might have gone to church and searched out the real answer about who God is and what this is all about, what life is all about. That spiritual desire and passion quickly faded, didn't it? It quickly faded. And I think that happens in our lives, whether you're here today and you're one of those who may be skeptical or questioning or whether you're here today and you've been a Christ follower for decades, years, like you know the scriptures really well. There are times in our life when our faith gets weak, when it gets thin, when we feel like we're really on thin ice in terms of our faith walk. Today, we begin a seven-week journey in a series that we've entitled Life Without a Net. And we're going to be diving into one of the, the key passages in all of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 as we take a look at what a lot of people have called the Hall of Faith. And we're going to be looking at the characters verse, in a verse-by-verse study of Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can open up there. In fact, we're going to start with the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 10 here in a few minutes. But, but it, it makes me wonder, and when I think about 9-11, when I think about that tragedy and what happened over time, the kind of the fade of what happened over time in terms of people's spiritual interests, interest in faith, it makes me wonder about my faith walk. Because I've had highs and I've had lows. And I've had times where my faith was so secure and times where because of what's gone on in my life, it felt so incredibly And I wouldn't want to wish another 9-11 on our country or our world at all, but I long for the day personally and as a country and as a world where we had that spiritual sensitivity, we had that same sensitivity towards faith, where Christians who strayed from God turned back to God in a moment, where believers once again experienced genuine conviction of sin and repentance, true repentance, maybe not lasting repentance, but true repentance were those who were critics and cynics and seekers and maybe who previously had no concern for the things of God really sought out what life was all about. And so we're going to begin this journey with that in mind, with the idea of life without a net in mind. Now, um, as we kind of embark on this, I want to give some of you who have been Christ followers for a long time a word of caution. Because the tendency is... For you and me, and I've been a Christ follower since I was in first grade, as I mentioned, Um, so I've been a Christ follower for a long time. The tendency for us as we enter a series like this, as we enter a series where the whole basis is going to be about this word faith, and we're going to be talking about it, we're going to be looking at examples of it, we're going to be taking like uh, really like very good like easy to follow principles for our everyday life from it. The tendency for us is to say, oh man, I'm checking out. This isn't for me. I've got this down. (laughs) And I'll remind you that pride comes before a fall. (laughs) And so my encouragement to all of you who are strong Christ followers is to dig into this series, even though it may seem on the surface elementary, because I promise you it's not. Because I've been preparing all summer for this series, and i got to tell you, I've been convicted in so many ways. I've been challenged to really, like, look at my faith walk and my journey and to 
to have it tested and to see where I am with the Lord. And I got to tell you, there were times when that was incredibly convicting and incredibly challenging. You know what it's done? It's really strengthened my resolve to stay strong with the Lord. Even during times of doubt, and I have them too. Even during times of difficulty, even during times when it seems like everything you do is the right thing to do, yet everything that happens to you is the wrong thing that happens to you. So I want to challenge you, if you are a strong Christ follower, hang in there. I promise you that God will lead you to a deeper place and he will test your faith and you will be challenged and convicted. And my prayer is, is that you would grow in your faith walk. And for those of you who are here today and you're doubters or you're uh, cynics or maybe you're critics, boy, my prayer for you is, is that uh, today or over the course of these next few weeks, that the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit would um, really speak to you wherever you are personally right now. And that you would come to a place where you accept the saving act of God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that you would accept that as your salvation, as the only way to get to heaven and have your sins forgiven. Because that's the redemption story. That's the story of God and man. And we're going to be taking a look at this word faith. I want to begin by um, just kind of putting in your mind this idea of a safety net. We have in our minds the whole idea of a safety net in a lot of different um, kind of uh, like ways. We, we view this or we see it or we, we, we witness it in a lot of different ways. We have safety net for construction. When Cynthia and I in uh, 2005 moved to New York City to help start a church called the Gallery Church that was in New York City, um, one of the things that I was surprised by was in New York City, um, like on the streets of the city, when they're doing construction on one of those huge skyscrapers and big buildings, um, they don't stop because people are down below. If, uh, if you've no been there, you notice that, right? And you're like, yeah, I can't believe that I'm going to be walking right over there under that building with those guys up there with a cement mixer and, and like a crane that's carrying a, you know, a piece of iron or steel that weighs you know, a ton. How is that possible? You know how it's possible? A safety net. They build safety nets around these buildings and they construct them temporarily to do construction so that if laborers or something happens, if a mishap takes place, the people down below are safe. We have safety nets financially. We, we, we think of finances in terms of, of risk-reward, and we have safety nets. If we put some um, you know, large sum of money in a risky fund, uh, many of you who, who you know, are used to this kind of thing, not me, by the way, okay, you, you have something to back you up, right? And we have a safety net in terms of finances. And, you know, we live our lives with this idea that if something goes wrong, we always want to have something that will catch us if we fall. If life fails, if we fail, we want to have a backup plan, right? And in many cases, that's really a smart idea, isn't it? It really makes sense. It's logical. It, it's, like, responsible. It makes sense. But I think that so many times, whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're, you're a cynic or a seeker, we want a safety net spiritually. And actually what God does is he wants us to, to think of faith in the complete opposite way. 
He wants us to have a life where we put so much trust in him and what he's doing that we don't even think about what if. What if? What if? And so we have a safety net. And we have this thing that catches us when we fall. But that's not God's intent for us spiritually. His desire for us is to so trust him that we never have a what if. You see, the purpose of a safety net is to provide protection when risk-reward choices, decision, or events fail. God's safety net is in his whole plan for humanity, his whole plan to save us from our sins. Now, um, if we ask the question, if I went around this room and asked the question, what does faith mean to you? There would be, in this room, there's probably about 150 people or so in here, there would probably be about 100 different answers. What does faith mean? Give me a definition of faith. And there would be a lot of different answers. And in fact, um, in Scripture, there are, there are four different definitions of faith that are used in the Old Testament. We're going to be taking a look at those. Um, but I think that if we really understand and if we really get an idea of the definition of faith, we can understand that God's intent is for us to live our spiritual lives trusting him so much that we don't have to worry about the safety net. We don't have to worry about it. Let's take a look at the definitions of faith in, in Scripture. There are four major definitions in the New Testament. The first is this, a personal belief or a mental acceptance or acknowledgement of God's existence. That's one definition of faith. And by the way, there are corresponding original language words, whether it's Greek or Aramaic in the New Testament, that correspond to each of these four. The second one is a conduct or work inspired by the complete surrender to mental acceptance. There's a faith that's a trusting or trustworthiness. And then there's a faith which is the system of doctrine and morality to, uh, particular to the Christian faith that we talk about in here. And so there, there are, there's different four, four different definitions of faith that we see in Scripture. And in many ways, over the course of these next seven weeks, we're going to look at all of them. But we're going to be talking about the first two. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's what I want you to write down first and foremost. Um, first and foremost, I'm going to be referring to these first two in two different ways throughout the series. The first way I'm going to refer it to is that there's a saving faith in Scripture. There's a saving faith in Scripture. And that's kind of the first one that we talked about. It's a faith that you come to, that I come to, where we place our trust for eternity and for the forgiveness of our sins in the hands of God's way, which was through his son Jesus alone. And so that's the saving type of faith, and I'll be referring to it as saving type of faith. The second type of faith, I'm going to refer to it as a believing type of faith. In other words, you already believe, and here's what a believing faith is. And this is going to apply to more of you um, than the first type in this room today. I understand that. A believing type of faith is the type of faith that you have that you already trust God. You already have that salvation faith or the saving faith down. You've made that decision. And in response to what God has done, then you make choices and live your life as a believer that reflect what God has done. And that's the second type of faith that we mentioned, a conduct or work inspired by the complete surrender to mental acceptance. And so once we are saved, then we have a believing faith. And much of Hebrews, even though the first part talks about that first faith, the saving faith, much of Hebrews has to do with a believing type of faith. In light of what God has done, how then, as Francis Schaeffer said, 
shall we live? How should we live in response to what God did on the cross for us? And so if saving faith is faith in God's Son, Jesus, alone for salvation, a responding faith or a believing faith is the faith to obey God's leading, act on that leading, and trust Him with the results. Now, faith in general, with both of these types of faith, believing faith and saving faith, it takes two things. Number one, it takes an intellectual agreement. And if some of you are, you know, like more academically or intellectually inclined than others, you can search scripture for a whole host of reasons to believe in God. Examples, proofs. Evidence is more than proofs of God's existence. And so you can search scripture and there's, there's an intellectual side of faith, but there's also a component in terms of faith that we have to have a trust in God. And it's intellectual agreement plus a dependent trust that that's true. It's very similar to this chair. Um, uh, this chair right here has evidence that, that it will hold me. All right. It's made of strong steel, and uh, you know I'm a little overweight, but not that much overweight. So I trust it has uh, uh, the strength to be able to withhold my weight. All right. It has four legs, and it is constructed fairly well. And so there's an intellectual evidence, and I love this nice padded thing, but I don't like to preach sitting down, so I'm just using this as an illustration. Okay. So this has like a a, a there's a great illustration of how I can believe intellectually that this chair will hold me if I sit on it. But you see, it doesn't help me if I don't act on that intellectual agreement. It only helps me if I take the next step and actually trust that the chair is going to hold me, which it does. And you all walked in this morning and you did the same thing that I just did, didn't you? You may not have cognizantly gone through it. You may not have intellectually gone through it because you do it all the time and you do it every day. But you trust that the chair that you're sitting in is going to hold you. You trust that gravity is a true fact of life. You trust that certain things in this world are going to happen based on an intellectual agreement plus a dependent trust in that thing. And what we're going to be looking at over the course of these next seven weeks is that at the intersection of God's leading in your life, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. At the intersection of God's leading in your life, whether it's through his word or whether it's through his Holy Spirit leading you or whether it's through someone that's come into your life that has said something about God and it's challenged you, at the intersection of his leading and your choice is truly where our faith is exercised. And Hebrews 11 is so amazing because it gives us some great examples and it really puts handles on things. Let's take a look at this great passage and lead up to this passage. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we're going to be looking at just these last verses. And let me just give you a little bit of context. Hebrews is probably one of the most important theological, next to Romans, one of the most important theological books in all of the New Testament. Because here's what Hebrews does. It was written, it says, the letter to the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, but it was also written to Christians. Because the way that God operated prior to Jesus is different than the way God operated after Jesus. And the problem was in the first century that the people who came together to become the first church, they were still operating the old way. 
And God desired for them to move on in their faith into the new covenant or that new way of operating. They were still focused on the old way, the old, uh, the old ways of operating. And, and God wanted them, he desired for them to move on in their faith. And I think he has the same message for us today. And so this book that we have in Hebrews, we don't know exactly who the author is. I tend to think it might have been Paul. A lot of people think it might have been um, uh, some of the other apostles like Peter and, and some of the other disciples of Jesus. Um, but it's, it's written in a way that it challenges the reader's reliance on anything else other than the person of Jesus for salvation. And so he spends the first 10 chapters kind of laying out the importance of the old way of doing things Yet, the idea and the value that it's time to move on. And then in verse 37 and through 39 of Hebrews chapter 10, um, he, he says this and he writes this. He says, for yet a little while and the coming, of, uh, coming one will come and will not delay. He's talking about Jesus there uh, referencing an Old Testament passage. But my righteous one shall live by, say that word with me, faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is one of these instances where God says, I'm not happy when you shrink back from your faith. And then he says this in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve, preserve of their souls. He's essentially saying to the, the readers then, and he's saying to us now, that his desire, God is saying that his desire is for us to be people that don't shrink back, but people who are bold in their faith and have that intellectual agreement, but also that undeniable, complete trust that God says who he is and that the story is true. Check, check out verses 1, 2, and 3. Of chapter 11. Now faith, he says, and here's the best definition. In fact, we're not even going to come up with a different definition. This is our definition of faith right here. It's the assurance, he says, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. That's a good thing, by the way, okay? All right? By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Essentially, what the author is saying and what God is communicating to us is that by faith, um, we can have the assurance of what is hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And then he uses the creation story as the example of why that's true. We can believe in creation because of our faith. Now, he begins by saying faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And I want to talk about that word for just a moment, the assurance of things hoped for. If I tell you that um, I hope that my Atlanta Falcons will win today, yeah. <laughs> I can tell by like a few people down here that like that hope is like fleeting, right? Okay. So like if I use the word hope, the connotation that we have is of a weakness, that there's something that's unstable. And so if we hope just for hope's sake, it is unstable. But what God is telling us is, is that um, we can actually have the assurance for our hope. If you're here today and you've been hoping that something in your life would change for the better, something that like you've been struggling with for a long time, if you just hope for it, 
based on you or based on circumstances or conventional wisdom or what the world tells you, that hope is weak and it's fleeting. But you know what? If you have faith in God, then you can have the assurance that God will intervene with what you hope for. He may not give you the exact answer you want, but I promise you he has something better in mind for you. The word assurance literally means the foundation. It means the anchor. So you and I, um, if we have faith, we can be anchored to the, the one who put the stars in space and created this, this universe around us. That's what, our, that's what our hope can be anchored to if we have faith in God, intellectual agreement combined with this undeniable trust in God. And so we can have assurance, but there's a second part of it. He says, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Now, conviction has uh, different, uh, you know, different words uh, or different ideas that come to mind. Sometimes we think of conviction of sin or whatever the case may be. But what the, the writer is talking about here is the proof. And when we think of faith, we actually sometimes think of the opposite of proof, Right? Like I sit in this chair because I have faith. I don't have 100% proof that this chair will hold me. We don't have 100% proof that gravity exists and that if I drop my glasses, they will fall to the ground. We may have evidences. But what he's saying here is that our faith can be the proof, the proof of what is invisible. I know for some of you, you, you may have had an instance where you've talked about God to someone and they just say, I just can't believe in God because I can't see him. I can't see him. There's, there's no proof that God exists. And that's actually where faith comes in. You see, our faith when we trust in God, that he is true, that he is real, that he did exist, that he does exist, that Jesus did exist as man and that he died for our sins, that is is the proof our faith is the proof of what is invisible and it says here in verse three or in verse two for the people of old that we're going to be discussing over these next few weeks they were commended for their faith and you and i can be commended for our faith as well and it's that believing type of faith that we need to have and here's kind of the big idea the main point the bottom line is the natural expression of faith in God, the natural expression of faith in God is a life of faithfulness to God. It's at that intersection where God leads us and where we have a choice to make that our faith becomes real for those of you who are believers. For some of you who are here today and you've not asked Jesus to be your savior yet, that intersection, maybe right now, maybe today, and your act of faith your, your act of obedience, your acting on what is invisible is to put your trust for eternity in the hands of Jesus. For the rest of us, the natural expression of faith in God is a life of faithfulness to God, and we can be commended just like those of old. It's not always easy. Gary and I just talked about all the miracles that we saw and talking about our nine-year anniversary and, and what's gone on in the life of this church and how we've seen God move. But I got to tell you, there were some tough days. There were some very difficult days. There were some days I wanted to throw in the towel and be done. And I know that there are a lot of you out there that um, right now you may want to throw in the towel on something or someone. 
or maybe some movement or some objective. And I want to give you encouragement. And I want to give you a challenge. That God can give you the faith that you need to see you through that situation. As I've said before, he may not remove you from that situation. In fact, he may call you to a decision that you don't want to make at that intersection of what he's leading and the choice that you have to make. And over the course of these next seven weeks, we're going to take a look at specific instances where obedience was required, where safety was thrown to the side because there were people of God that just obeyed. And I think the bottom line for us today is obedience to God's leading may, in fact, jeopardize our safety. It may jeopardize our personal security, our power, or our status. But life without a net means that we obey anyway. Life without a net means that we step out, maybe some days one step at a time, and we follow in obedience regardless of what it may cost us. It may not be easy, but I can promise you that if we do our best, if we act with obedience when God leads us, when his word convicts us, when we hear his still small voice, we can be people who are commended for our faith as well. And we can get back to that point as a people, as a church, where we are experiencing true, authentic conviction of sin and a move of God that's inescapable. And we can see our greatest days as believers, as Christ followers, and as a church in our future if you and I understand what faith is truly about. I'm going to ask you to pray with me this morning. And for some of you, I think that um, the action item is really to evaluate your own faith walk. For those of you who are Christ followers, I, I I want to challenge you and I want to invite you over the course of these next few days and weeks to really take a close look, to, to truly get introspective. Um, not just going through the motions, but like having a real conversation with the God who provided a way out of your sin and provided eternal life through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. I want to invite you and challenge you to really consider what you would do at the intersection of God's leading and your choice if faith truly cost you something big? What would you do? What would you do? Because over the course of these next seven weeks, I believe that you and I are going to be challenged in terms of that believing type of faith. And for those of you who are here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I believe that your act of obedience is to accept the saving faith that God provided through Jesus. Oh, it's not about a a religious system. It's not about an institution. It's not about a particular way. God says that he offers a free gift of salvation, that all the things that you've done that you know keep you from God and keep him from you can be washed away. The word of God says as far as the east is from the west. And all you have to do is to put your faith In Jesus, God's son, and you will be saved. You will have eternal life. 
God, I pray right now for those who are here who are believers. God, I pray that you would begin to challenge us, that you would begin to convict us, that you would begin to lead us to the place where um, when we hear you speak, when we sense your leading, when we read your word, and, and we know we have a difficult choice to make, Father God, I pray that you would give the people of Hilton Head Island Community Church the courage and the ability to stand strong, to stand up, to do what you have called us to do. God, I pray that you would lead us to a place where even if our safety and security and our plan B or C or D is in jeopardy, God, I pray that you would help us to obey anyway. Begin even right now, Holy Spirit, to convict us of that area of our life that we're hanging on to, that we're holding on to, that we have a lack of faith in you on. And God, I also pray right now for those who may have come in here today and they've never accepted you as their Savior. God, I pray that you would um, speak to them right now, that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide right now. God, I pray that you would open their eyes and open their hearts and pierce their hearts um, to the fact that um, the way that you provided a way out of our sin and the results of that is through your son, Jesus. If you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, I want to challenge you and I want to invite you to do that right now here with every head bowed and every eye closed. Um, the word of God says that if we confess, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. And so all it takes for you to cross that line from an intellectual agreement to a place where you trust God for salvation is just to take that one last step and to actually believe, to trust that he's true, to trust that his plan is the way. And if you're here today and you're ready to accept him as your savior, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, whenever that time comes, that you will go to heaven and you'll be with him. All it takes is it's just a prayer of your heart. And I'm going to pray out loud a prayer. And just silently, if, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, I just want to invite you to pray that prayer along with me. It goes something like this. God, thank you so much for making me. And thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And God, life without a net for me right now is me saying yes to your plan of salvation alone. And right now, I put my trust, I put my faith in you, Jesus, for my salvation. If you prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to boldly raise your hand so I can pray for you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anyone else? Keep your hand up those of you who have your hands up right now that is that's the best decision you could ever have made i want to encourage you to please fill out that form at the bottom of that worship guide that you received when you came in and let us know about your decision anyone else just raise your hand god i thank you for those who have their hands raised who did have their hands raised god i thank you so much that today is their day of salvation god and that eternity is theirs with you oh, thank you so much God, I pray that you would go with them and that they can experience life without a net with you, God. You can 
your hands down. Father, thank you for what you've done in this place. And God, for the rest of us who struggle in times of doubt, in times of uh, situations in our lives where we really lack the faith, God, I pray that we would ask you and that you would give us the faith that we need to obey you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.